We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in tonight on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up later on in Hour 1, this week's sign, The Apocalypse is Upon Us. Here at the bottom of the hour, Mike Woody is going to take us to the movies here in about oh, 40 minutes or so. But I want to begin with what I have been telling you all this week. We're going to spend a lot of time on here early on in the Trump uh, administration, and that is this Supreme Court selection. Today, of course, is the March for Life and if you haven't seen it yet, I'd, I'd invite you to go to our Facebook wall. Uh, pinned there is a Facebook Live I did earlier today with my own personal pro-life testimony. And, and one of the things that I note in there is that it is a bittersweet thing to be a part of the longest perennial march in the history of our nation's capital. Because that means that while you are taking a righteous stand, it means you haven't won. And when the cause is as just as this one is, innocent life, you don't want to labor in vain. 
at some point. Now, I'm not, an, I don't subscribe to the legal theory that there is nothing we can do until the court overturns Roe. That's because it's not true. That's why I don't subscribe to it. But ultimately, I do agree. The court is going to have to reconsider the question of Roe. What happens when they do? Why is this judicial appointment so important, this particular one? Our friend Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review wrote a piece yesterday laying out the stakes here. And and I've got several excerpts that I want to share to open up the show tonight because it's better said than I've been able to. And then we've got a full house here because we've got the Days Group next hour, so Kim is with us. I'm going to let the team here give us their responses to what I just shared. These are Daniel's words. He writes, When conservatives say they want only originalists on the court, judges who will interpret the Constitution as it was originally adopted, irrespective of erroneous left-wing precedent, we really mean it. If there was ever an issue where conservatives both have the right and the opportunity to expect an ironclad assurance to meet our expectations, it's on the issue of filling Supreme Court and appeals court vacancies. Between the loss of Scalia, Kennedy moving even further to the left, the numerous consequences of Obergefell, the craziness of the lower courts after eight years of Obama, and the one-directional starry decisis and legal momentum this environment has created. The federal judiciary has turned itself into an unmitigated dumpster fire. For those of you that don't know, uh, stare decisis, I, I don't want to oversimplify it because it's more, there's more to it than I could explain in, in 140 characters or less. But for now, let me just say that the way stare decisis is applied today is what it means is the latest court precedent determines what the Constitution is. Not the const or the law for that matter, not the constitution or the law itself. That's what it means. Now that's not what it originally meant, but that's what it means today. All right. Daniel goes on to write, if by some miracle Kennedy or Ginsburg decide to retire on Trump's watch, the selection of two new justices who subscribe to Clarence Thomas's views on uprooting anti-constitutional precedent could go a long way in rolling back some of the social transformation the left has successfully achieved. If we don't, one need only look across the Atlantic Ocean to Europe to see the kind of legal nonsense that will herald our very own civilizational suicide. And remember, with Republicans in power at the federal level and in many states, we will only be playing defense at the courts in the coming years. Conservatives have gotten burned by the Supreme Court nomination process time and time again. In fact, burned badly. Of the 17 justices appointed by Republican presidents since World War II, only four could be considered originalist for the most part. Rehnquist, Scalia, Thomas, and Alito. Most of the remaining picks were not only subscribers to the living, breathing Constitution doctrine, but were pioneers leading the violence against our Constitution. From Brennan, Warren, and Blackman, to O'Connor, Stevens, Souter, and Kennedy. By the way, Earl Warren, when asked when he left the White House, what was his greatest regret as president? You know what Dwight Eisenhower said? Appointing Earl Warren Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. That's what he said. What's his greatest regret? 
Republican-appointed judges have authored opinions promoting the worst forms of social transformation without representation, as Scalia once dubbed it. Of course, while most Republican appointees were dismal, although slightly better in recent years, every single Democrat pick has been an anti-constitutionalist. A similar trend has persisted in the lower courts, which decide 99% of the federal cases. Taken together, we'd be a very different country had we merely utilized Republican presidencies to make the right judicial picks. And indeed, in in addition to vandalizing the Constitution, these judges have expanded the role of the court in, in itself to that of sole and final arbiter of every societal issue, whereby the courts, in fact, change the country itself simply by making a bad ruling in one case. Thus, when George W. Bush came into power with a GOP Senate, we swore to ourselves as a movement that we would never make the same mistake again. Yet we got John Roberts, who was so regarded by Bush and some conservatives that he was elevated to chief justice. Meanwhile, he had screwed us over, not just on Obamacare, but on Arizona's immigration law, a host of smaller cases, and his penchant for not taking appeals from bad lower court decisions. There were some conservatives who warned at the time that Roberts was a blank slate and that he could very well be a centrist. However, most people who knew him thought he had a brilliant conservative legal mind. In fact, while in the Reagan administration, Roberts authored a brilliant memo on Congress's plenary power to regulate the court's jurisdiction on key issues, something even many conservative jurists don't like. Yet the Constitution clearly allows. Yet without an ironclad, demonstrable paper trail of fighting for true true originalism on key issues in practice, especially social and political issues intersecting with the legal profession's bastardization of the 14th Amendment, there's no way to tell, there was no way to tell for sure. According to news reports, assuming Trump is not orchestrating a master media rope-a-dope, and he could be, The two top choices are 10th Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Neil Gorsuch and 3rd Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Thomas Hardiman. From the onset, again, this is Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review writing these words. It's important to note that given the advancement of the conservative movement and that this list was put together by some very good allies, we can be fairly confident that none of the 21 names on the list will turn out like Anthony Kennedy did. But again, given that we only get one shot at this, that we actually have a GOP Senate and that we don't need a stealth nominee and that this era calls for a game changer, shouldn't we make sure that we are absolutely certain we are getting a Scalia or a Clarence Thomas? Why shouldn't we aspire to that with a GOP Senate? Although Hardiman has written some good opinions, his small paper trail is far too thin to conclusively indicate he is what we are looking for. By all accounts, Gorsuch, who has been touted as the top choice by some media reports, is a brilliant jur- jurist who is also pro-life, politically conservative. He wrote a terrific book, Making the Moral and Legal Case Against Euthanasia and Physician-Assisted Suicide. There is little doubt that he would not contribute to new anti-constitutional jurisprudence as it relates to new abortion, religious liberty, or transgendered cases. However... As it relates to rolling back existing fake precedent on a host of these issues that really matter to our civilization, fundamental rights and proper application of federal and state powers, would Gorsuch be willing to roll back Roe or or Obergefell if given the chance? What about issues pertaining to regulating state election law, affirmative action, or immigration? Is Gorsuch willing to overturn bad precedent? Maybe not from the 1800s, but at least since the Warren era and beyond. What about the concoction of phony rights under incorporation? Remember, at this point, there is enough existing toxic 14th Amendment jurisprudence and anti-religious establishment clause jurisprudence to destroy the country, even without creating a single new innovation.
Will Gorsuch be willing to aggressively grant appeals to plaintiffs in states screwed over by the prevailing legal theory in the lower courts? These are all the issues Daniel Horowitz writes are happening right now. And we have a once in a lifetime opportunity to pick the very best with the luxury of a Republican Senate. These are the needs we must fill. Perhaps Gorsuch is such a person, but I don't think we can say that with a high degree of certainty that he is necessarily that person. Although likely he is a good, who he would be a good judge who is personally conservative, but will he, would he be willing to buck the entire legal profession and rule in accordance with true equality, even when such rulings are considered, quote, racist? Once again, Gorsuch could very well be that man, but are we as confident about him as we would be proven fighters like Ted Cruz or, or Mike Lee or even Thomas Lee, Senator Lee's brother? Is Trump's team avoiding some of the better-known originalist firebrands because of concern of Democratic opposition? If so, that would be a colossal mistake. Democrats don't control the Senate. And there's one final conclusion from Daniel Horowitz's article we're going to get to when we come back, and then we'll have some reaction in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. The Sleeping Giants Alarm Clock, Steve Dace. All right, back with some final words from this outstanding piece our friend Daniel Horowitz wrote for Conservative Review yesterday. All of this is not to say Neil Gorsuch would be a bad choice. Indeed, he'd likely be a very good justice. But the bar for what we need at this point in history, and frankly, what we should expect, is higher than that. Conservatives need to be sure of Gorsuch's philosophy, not just on the typical questions, but some of the aforementioned issues that are likely to come up. Most importantly, conservatives must understand his philosophy on overturning precedent. The legal system has declared war on us for over a half century. And it's largely been a one-sided fight. The times we live in call for an extraordinary pick, therefore, for the Supreme Court. And again, those are Daniel Horowitz's words yesterday at Conservative Review on the importance of this moment for the future. Some reaction to what we just heard from Daniel, from the team here. Go ahead. There's a paradox here, and I understand while it's kind of uncomfortable for people who thought, you know, we shouldn't be saying, you know, mocking courts, courts, courts uh, before the election and now talking about this the way they are. But there's a simple fact of the matter. This appointment, now that it is here, this particular appointment is so important, primarily so that eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, these appointments aren't so important that uh, that you are ultimately, Mm. when you choose a judge, picking the umpire who will, along with eight other umpires, like with John Marshall, whatever you do or don't think about John Marshall back in the day, in particular thoughts, he he thought it was important for them to be unanimous. We obviously don't think that in, in, anymore. And to my mind, that's why this court is a farce. Every 5-4 decision, even when it gets it right, is almost a, f- a farce. That is nonsense. We should n- If the law is, in fact, the law as we are supposed to understood it as our founding, you, you cannot constantly be 5-4 on everything. That is a definition of madness. That is a great point, Kim, that he just made. The founders never intended for this to all come down to one appointment or even a slew of them to the U.S. Supreme Court. That is the failure of our system. 
I have spent a lot of my time in my career over the past decade fighting back against that. And of course, but, but it is what it is. We can't ignore that that is, that, that, is, that is the de facto system we have. So that's another paradox, Todd, that on one hand we have to fight this system with, while acknowledging it's the one we have and we can't abrogate that fight. So in a way, you are looking for justices who don't want the ring of power, Kim, but want to throw it into the fire of Mount Doom. Right. And the other part of it, too, is just the idea that... Um, <clears throat> The um, the Senate, they can um, limit the power of the Supreme Court, and they don't. Um, I'm very interested in the question that Daniel Horowitz raised. Will the new uh, Supreme Court justice bring in and allow some of those lower court rulings that were against religious liberty, for example? I think that's going to be hugely important, given the fact that there are so many progressive liberals on the bench. In fact, what, what Daniel's articulating here about this justice is the same argument, Aaron, we've often made politically. A lot of these Republicans we could count on to stop the new bad stuff the Democrats come up with. But how many of them could we count on to get rid of the old bad stuff the Democrats have already established? I mean, look at the Chinese fire drill that is going on right now to repeal Obamacare, for mm-hmm. example. That's really where the rubber meets the road, right? And so, so yeah, it was great. It was great that we got them to stop the, 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 the Democrats from redefining the First Amendment in the Hobby Lobby case. But what you're looking for is not someone who, who comes up with a weak rationale to do so, but, but essentially says, you don't get to redefine the First Amendment and the horse you rode in on. And the next time you come in here, we're going to actually push back further against you. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, and there's, there's absolutely no excuse right now, as was articulated uh, in that piece by Daniel, which, uh, for my money, is the authority on, on what we've been artic- articulating all week on the show and for, for past weeks as well. There's no excuse at all for Trump and his administration, his team, to get this wrong because of the very simple um, uh, fact that Congress Congress is under control of Republicans. There's nothing that they should fear about uh, going all out here at all. If they really do believe in in appointing a conservative uh, justice, which all of the names that have been bandied about for uh, to varying degrees are conservative, uh, as was pointed out as well, Neil Gorsuch could be a very good uh, justice, but there's no reason at all to not just go all out. If you're going to get something good and you can get something good, why not go for the best if the best is available? So what should we... Here's the, here's the issue that I have, and I've said this to Andy Schlafly, by the way. I, I don't think you can motivate Donald Trump with the, I, with, with the traditional mechanism of accountability. That's not good enough. That's, that, that, you know, there, I, I think you're dealing with a utilitarian. I, I don't think transcendent standards, moral absolutes, predetermining factors, um, you know, pre-existing conditions, I don't think they motivate him at all. I think you have to you have to motivate people by what they're actually motivated by. I think what Trump is motivated by is solutions. And and this is where I have said and I've said this to Schlafly uh, privately, you are far better off finding a candidate that you believe meets your threshold and and amassing your platforms behind him and taking that name to Donald Trump and saying this is our son, you know, if you get the if you get the analogy and whom we are well pleased, you're far better off doing that I think than applying conservative conservative litmus tests to every new name that comes up. And so in that respect, Mike Pence is probably the perfect guy for that job, which is why if he, if Trump gets this wrong, we hang this on Mike Pence, right? We could. I, I think we don't know. You know, I think who you're hanging on probably if you got it wrong. And we won't know 
we, we really won't know if he got it wrong until they're in there. That's part of the problem. We won't really know. Until the cases come yeah, down. So, yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't really know. But I think you go back and you look at the people that amassed that list. And you say to them, instead of giving him 21, why don't you pick your three or four best ones that you knew were 100% and just give them those? Why didn't you just do that? See what I'm saying? And then, and then when, when, reservations were, when reservations came up in January when this decision was being made, why didn't you rally behind a pick rather than just saying, hey, all, as if all these names are equally good and those sorts of things. I think, I think this is really, and this goes back to what we said after the election, a lot of, 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 of whether Trump delivers for conservatives or not, a lot of it's going to be depend on conservative leadership. Because I think Trump doesn't, doesn't get our language. I don't think he's hostile to it in many cases. I just think he's ignorant of it. It's a world he hasn't lived in. So it's a matter of do we have leaders who will go to him and say, this is what we need. Snarky retort, what's conservative leadership? Well, yeah. After a while, it starts. It starts. Think, you start thinking it's sort of like moderate Arab nation or local celebrity I, or military intelligence. I I get that, but 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 the reality is that there are and Mike Pence would be one of them. There are people who have shown that they are conservatives. This is a, you're saying there's a chance moment uh, that that they that are in that inner circle that could say yes, no, yes, no, do that, don't do that, right? There, yeah, we just there do, are some we just of those don't names. know who's got his ear at any given time. No, we don't. But do you think Donald Trump knew who General George, who General Mattis was, sixteen months ago? Think he knew who he was eight months ago? Only no. because of some of his colorful quotes, maybe because they are downright Trumpian. But yeah, I, your point, yeah, is but he well wasn't. Made. Uh, but but listen, this yes. is the guy who said originally got his foreign policy ideas from quote the shows. Mattis wasn't. <laughs> a, Mattis wasn't a frequent. Uh, <laughs> you laugh. I'm just quoting him. He, he wasn't a frequent quote on the shows. Okay, he didn't show up on the crawler at the bottom. And of he has screen. a very big brain. Yes. Okay. So I mean, no, I don't think he knew who these people were. I think these are people. These were people that were introduced to him. So this is where it's not a list of 21. It's a list of two or three. And, and, and they're all 100 percenters, every last one. You're listening to Steve Dace. Class, meet your worst nightmare. I'm having these dreams, but I'm scared. Steve Dace. All right, let's completely switch gears. Mike Woody's taking us to the movies here in about 15 minutes. But first, it's time for some good news before we bring in Mike. Yes, it's been on hiatus for a couple of weeks, but it has returned after uh, being uh, preempted for other coverage. It is back, and these are first-run episodes. It is time for the worst of our worst. We find out, Alice, just how far down the rabbit hole goes, proving yet again that total depravity is one of the smartest ideas to ever come out of Christian theology. This is... This week's sign, the apocalypse is upon us. Thank you, Steve. And this week's sign, the apocalypse is upon us. It's time for a PSA. And what does PSA stand for? Public Service Announcement. And I truly hope that we will be a service to the public throughout the course of the next five or six minutes. As parents especially, and really anyone, as you're about to hear someone, if you see in public, you should run away from. I want to set the scene for you. We're in a coffee shop. There's about 15 people in line. The barista is black, and there is a feminist. 
This video was posted on Twitter by Hotep Dubes with <laughs> the caption, When white guilt boils over and you project your problems onto random black barista, well, just listen. want that pot so talk. i want you to know this trees <laughs> is it the same girl it's just, that earth first that's video? one thought i had the voice sounds and the shrieking sounds remarkably or the same. is that shia labeouf again and i gave you that gift aaron mm-hmm. thank you for returning the favor you bet. thank you i mean there's another minute and a half left on here and it is i want that pep talk every morning because she's trying to give this black barista coffees for closers coffee, man even in flint co- yes <laughs> Well, that's the one place this gal apparently cares about the babies. Every place else, probably not. The shocking thing about this video, if you watch it, and I'll retweet it, and I uh, I retweeted it earlier. Is the look on the face of the barista? The look on the face of the barista and everybody else standing in line because they're like, they're like agreeing with her and they're like, yeah, yeah, uh, just uh, nodding their head to everything that uh, this uh, young feminist says. So again, oh. PSA. Is the, is the barista if like see, this some crazy white woman? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Yo, white yes. people are crazy. She's looking at her like, uh, go away. PSA is this week's sign. The apo- apocalypse is upon us. If you see this woman, I would just try to stay away. Unless you want a, uh, unless you're a white male, or especially if you're a white male, unless you're a minority and you want a pep talk, I would stay away. So if I understand the point our little uh, SJW feminist is making here, she is making the case that I'm that me a white person wants what you want more than you actually want it. Is that the is is that is that what this the, the point why, of this rant? Why are you trying to glean a point from a feminist? Do we know why this started? Good point. <laughs> oh. Uh, no, that's just it's posted kind of without context on uh, Hotep Dubes. Twitter profile. <laughs> That's a sign of the apocalypse all what, by itself. Is, right I've got to. I've, I've got to know. I've got to know. What is the Twitter bio for Hotep's dude? Dubes. Uh, Dubes. Dubes. I'm uh, sorry. Who f- is he? What, what does he claim he is? Uh, it's something about uh, Hotep Nation. Um, and I'm I, like, there's Roman numerals like 420 Hotep Dubes. Uh, prosperity at any cost. Independence by any means. Every problem has a solution. And they both live in you. Hotep Nation, stop eating meat, dairy, and soy. I, and I love. Uh, do you know how much dumber I just got by asking that question and then the answer I received? And Seriously, they are, they are from somewhere high on the low. I, 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 I can't talk. I've, I've lost motor function control of. The, what's language? 
Is this real life? <laughs> I'm done. I, I, I've, I, I've, I, well, how did she I know? can't do it. I, I can't. I mean, that I'm just I, that that I'm dumb. It how seems did, racist to think well, that this woman isn't. How does she know that she's not potential? a PhD candidate? PhD yes. candidate, just you know, making coffee to you know pay her way, exactly. help pay her way through it school. Seems very racist. Yes. Got to fit in the right liberal box. You're listening to Steve Dace. Power of Principles, Steve Dace. All right, let's get right to it. Mike Woody is here to give us a little change of pace and take us to the movies. Michael, what are we talking about this week? Oh, Steve, we've got Split by your friend M. Knight. Uh, we've got Silence, if you're into persecuted priests. And we've got The Founder, if you've ever eaten at a McDonald's. All right, so these are three intriguing movies. Let's begin with the one that I have seen of, among the three, uh, which is Split. I have seen it with uh, a guy who is rapidly becoming one of my favorite actors, James McAvoy. Your thoughts on M. Night Shyamalan trying to go two for two. Uh, you and I disagreed on the visit. I thought it was tremendous. You did not. But it was a big hit for him a couple of years ago. Now he's trying to get a winning streak going after he, he had a slump buster. About a decade-long <laughs> slump. Now he's trying to create a winning streak. Did he do it? He did. Uh, if you look at the box office, uh, opening weekend did $40 million. In January, that's massive. That's unheard of. That's American Sniper kind of an opening. Yeah. yeah. Um, For this time of year. You know what? Let's, let's start with James McAvoy. This guy in this film, and in, in many films, but this one specifically, is absolutely brilliant. You know, he plays a character who has 23 personalities in his body. There will be a close-up of him on screen, just his face, and you can see in that moment, without him saying a word, mm -hmm. him change from multiple personalities. Mm -hmm. the, the talent, the acting talent that that had to take is, is almost beyond my comprehension. I'm completely with you. I thought the movie was good to very good. It had moments. I'm not sure if it pays off at the end, but there is a nod at the very end that I absolutely love. Because uh, we don't want to give too much away, but it's a, it, it, it's a nod to one of Shyamalan's earlier films, which you liked a lot more than I did. Yes. And I went home and watched it because Sue had not seen it. Well, and, and there's some talk that maybe this is going to lead into a sequel. Uh, to that film, that would uh, be interesting. But uh, so, so the the Shyamalan well-known twist at the end. If you're not familiar with this movie, you may not get that twist. But 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 if you're let down by the twist because you don't get it, McAvoy's performance up until that point is worth the price of admission. Now let's the creep factor is high. I was going to say let's also caution people that it is really really creepy. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, one of the 23 personalities kidnaps three high school girls and is holding them hostage um, for most of the film. How many mushroom clouds? I'm going to give it three and a half. You know what? Let's, it's, it's Friday. Let's give it four. 
I'm going to go three and a half because uh, because I, I I thought the twist at the end could have been better. But uh, up until that point, it's a four. But if you want to tell me it's a four, you'll get no argument out of me. I thought it was really good. Uh, also, if you're wondering, there's there's some brief scenes of gore towards the very end. Uh, but even though he has these girls hostage, there isn't uh, you know there's no raping or anything like anything like that going on. No, but it's um, creepy because he makes them get you know he strips them down to their bra. That's that's. Weird. Yes, but it's 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 not necessarily for the reasons that you would normally expect somebody to do that, which frankly adds all the more to the overall creep factor. Um, what else? What do you want? Where do you want to go next? Uh, let's let's go to silence because I spent two hours and forty five minutes of my life here. This is Martin Scorsese uh, directing a, a, a movie he's been trying to get made for years. True story: two priests, sixteen hundreds Japan. Um, they go looking for a lost priest who has allegedly apostatized or, you know, spoken in public that he no longer believes in God. And they don't believe that this could happen. And so they go looking for him. And it's a very well-made film. I mean, it's Martin Scorsese. Come on. I mean, how, how bad can it be? Andrew Garfield, I think, turns in a better performance here than he did in Hacksaw Ridge. And he got an Oscar nomination for that. Um, I just, the story seemed to be a little bit repetitive. I mean, the torture, the suffering was, you know, and and I'm sure he's going to say it was worse for them, but holy cow, man, I felt like I was suffering with them. Here's my issue with this film. I've not yet seen it. Uh, opinions in the faith community are very divided on this film. Uh, the... The, uh, uh, the evangelical movie reviewer at World Magazine actually liked it. Uh, Matt Walsh, who's a buddy, friend of our show, uh, who's Catholic, uh, detested it. I uh, thought that the film basically uh, glorifies apostasy at the end with the, uh, with the way that everything works out. Uh, so I've seen some very divided I think I opinions would disagree on, on this that. film. I don't think it does. I think these guys are, are forced to do something obviously that's something they're not supposed to do but i do not believe that any of them gave up their faith well that's a debate that is raging about this film how yeah. many mushroom clouds would you give it just because it was too long three okay should have been it should have been shorter at, at two hours it might have been an awesome movie all right and then finally michael keaton as ray Kroc of mcdonald's fame in the founder your thoughts um fascinating movie great movie michael keaton once again i mean this guy has found this rebirth as an actor and he is just on a roll he plays ray Kroc, as you said who meets the mcdonald brothers who are running a small but very successful hamburger shop in san bernardino california and he is so obsessed with this he says let me help you let me franchise this they say no we've already tried it it failed we just want one restaurant he convinces them and then he builds an empire which he later takes away from them he is not a nice guy in the film he has been and and keaton said if they wanted me to be a nice guy i would not have done the film because Ray Kroc was not a nice guy. He stole one of his franchisees' wife. He stole the company from these two guys, even though you could argue that they, there wasn't a company. They had a hamburger stand. He built a company. Keaton is just is just outstanding. It is a really well-made and 
Great movie. I, I really enjoyed it. How true is it? I think it's very true. How? Well, yeah, how, how do you know that? Uh, just everything I've read about it, whether that's reviews because or I, articles I've about I've not it. heard anything. The first I ever heard about any of this alleged backstory was the first time I saw the trailer to this movie. Have you guys ever heard anything about any of this at all? No. Nope. No. No. I've never heard any of this at all well, until I that, saw the trailer of this movie it, the first time. It didn't exist. I'm a fairly well-informed American. <laughs> I think we would all agree on some level. I've never heard anything at all about this. That's why I thought it was great. Nobody knows this story. Is it fake news? That's what we're asking. No, it's not fake news. Well, how do we know? Be- <laughs> People bigger than you and I, and I know that's that's hard for you. All right, we'll um, find out what's new on demand research. next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't mind us. There's only the future of the country at stake. You're listening to Steve Dace. Right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, Mike Woody taking us to the movies with uh, three really big-time movies with big-time stars, vehicles yeah. for this time of year. Uh, quick recap of the three. You thought you, you like Split. You gave it four, four mushroom clouds, in yep. fact, with uh, James McAvoy and Night Shyamalan's latest. Uh, you thought Silence had potential but was too long, so you give it three. Yep. Three mushroom clouds. And then what did uh, you end up giving I'm the gonna, founder? I'm going to give the founder f- four. Four for the founder. Yeah. All right. What's new on demand? Well, you're not going to like this, Steve. I love that it's, as a caveat. It's like when my kids ask me before they tell me something, promise you won't get mad? Well, I don't know. You haven't told me what it is yet. Well, it's based on a, on a Dan Brown novel. So this is fake news. <laughs> there's, there's zero doubt about that. This is that. absolutely fake news. Uh, some, it is so, called many Inferno. People, many people in the 90s forgot Dan Brown's books are found in the fiction section of their bookstore. Like it or not, he still writes an entertaining story. It's not true, no, obviously. So here he takes on Dante's Inferno. Tom Hanks is back. Felicity Jones is in it. From Rogue One. <laughs> I have. I just had to throw that there, to you. There is zero. There is literally nothing you could tell me that would persuade me to watch any of these. Nothing. Literally nothing. Well, this. I mean, it's just. It's. It's a mystery, and he has to solve the mystery. There's nothing heinous about it. It's not. You know, it's I, not I can the watch, Da Vinci I, Code. I can watch lots of mysteries that don't attempt to use third grade sophomoric tactics to <laughs> yeah. uh, undermine my belief system that anybody with half a brain could uh, could get rid of in about ten minutes. I told you you weren't going to like it. Exactly. It's, you know so what? other than the mushroom cloud I'd like to drop on Dan Brown, how many mushroom clouds for this film? You know what? I, I'll give it two. It was The book wow. was really compelling. The movie, it's like, okay. First of all, don't ever try to persuade me to watch anything, regardless of the subject matter. You only give two mushroom clouds to, let alone something inspired by fake Dan Fake News Brown. I have volunteered to work the video release schedule or the on-demand now release schedule, and they have yet to take me up on this. So I just tell you Is what's Is that out. all we have? That's all we have. That's the right. only thing came out. Late last night after the show... Amy and I watched an original movie on Netflix last night. I would re- highly recommend it. It's not the greatest movie ever. All right, but it's got a really good creep factor. It's called The Watcher. <laughs> I think I texted you about this you after did. I watched it last night. It's called The Watcher. All right, it's got, um, I don't know who the wife is. Amy says she plays uh, supporting or guest roles in several shows she watches. I've never seen her before. The husband is played by the guy who was the bad guy on um, 
on uh, oh, what's the James Spader show on uh, NBC? That's a big hit. The Blacklist. The Blacklist. Blacklist. He was the he was he was the villain on the Blacklist for a while. He was the guy who was the lead operative, the black guy who was the lead operative for the for the for the uh, for the cabal. Okay, that was going around making sure that all the uh, other counter spies were all snuffed out. If you watch that show, but it's a young couple. They move into this house and they start getting some of the creepiest letters. and And it is it's ba- it says it's based on a true story. I went online last night and read some of the uh, story from New Jersey that took place last year that this is based on. You should watch it. It's called The Watcher. If you're looking for a good popcorn creep factor after the kids go to bed tonight, that's uh, that's a suggestion. Hour two is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with hour two here on a Friday night. You know what that means? It means it's hour two on a Friday night. What did you think it meant? Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. We'll get to some of the feedback that you have sent to us in the recent days coming up in hour three. But first, it is time for the Day Group. With a tip of the cap to the late great John McLaughlin inspired by his award-winning show for many years on PBS. This is the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was. Can you believe it's already the last Dace Group of January? The Time years, is flying, They man. do fly the older you get, indeed. The clock is ticking on us all. Issue one, good Trump. The first week of the Trump administration went okay. Here are the good things he or those around him did. Trump's first executive order on Inauguration Day directed his agencies to do whatever they could to the maximum extent permitted by law to minimize the impact of Obamacare until it can be repealed. The effect of that is... Well, there's no effect to that executive order yet. Another one of Trump's early orders announced his intention to withdraw from the Trans-Pacific Partnership and renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement, keeping promises he made while criticizing free trade on the campaign trail. Trump also announced a freeze on new federal hires, which prompted a lot of howling from unions and liberals. On Tuesday, Trump signed a memorandum undoing Obama's rejection of the Keystone XL pipeline, inviting a Canadian company to resubmit its application to the State Department. On Wednesday, Trump visited the Department of Homeland Security to sign two executive orders about immigration. One focused on his long-promised demand for a border wall, which will depend on congressional funding, and another issued a directive to gut federal funds to sanctuary cities. Fairly positive signs from Trump's first week in office. First question, Kim, goes to you. Was this, and there were other things too, it's just there's only so much news Aaron can put into one intro, but was this the best week for conservatives since the George W. Bush presidency went south, which is like a decade ago now? Right. Um, I think uh, a conservative could look at what has happened over the last week and find something that they're excited about. Whether it's, you know, the Obamacare, where the order rescinds and tells the agencies to 
um, in quotes, waive, defer, grant exemptions, or delay the implementation of any provision of the requirement. You know, some people are excited about the wall and and using um, a bill that had been passed what, by Obama and Clinton and Biden to um, secure the border. So I think this has been one of the better weeks. Todd? Low bar, uh, but of course, in, in the, with the asterisk being trust but verify. I mean, Trump is still the same guy that all of us were never Trump about, So it's, and it's only been one week, so there's no point getting crazy. But yes, if this is a snowball that keeps gaining momentum and rolling downhill... Uh, this there's many things that are worth not only worth vital to get behind while never letting sight of the fact that he's we aren't sure what his motivations are he very often is a moral reprobate and uh, you know but we are hanging on by a very thin thread Steve I mean you've become persona non grata on social media to some what must be never Trumpers because they, they think you're getting weak in the knees or something like that I mean everybody Take one issue as they come. Be a grown-up. All right? There's no reason to hate the thing, every single thing Donald Trump does. For that matter, what Barack Obama did. Like I said, when he went in and killed Osama bin Laden the way he did, stone-cold props to that. All right? Take one issue as they come. Be an adult. I'll respond to the point you made in just a moment. But I want to let Aaron have his say first. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, because the, the timeline that you're giving as far as when the George W. Bush uh, presidency went south, which I agree with, was about the time that I was just becoming sentient. So this is like the I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how to respond to this because I, there's just so much uh, at least positive signs coming out of this week. So I'd have to say that, yes, this is the best, probably best news cycle as far as a, a whole week goes. That, uh, that I've ever seen. Your whole life. sentient life has just been the Obama trail of tears, yes. basically. <laughs> so the argument yes. could be made, he, he just became sentient. Yes. Kim, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to add in there that I know that there's a lot of people that are um, watching this cautiously, and they should go to the Conservative Review and look at Rob Eno's um, um, article about the executive actions, mm-hmm. because that's something that I'm concerned about. Are these executive orders lawful? And so he has a great article about that. He, he talks about executive orders. He talks about uh, presidential memorandums. So that's important to go look at them. The, the point you made, that is something I, I, I confront on this consistently. And, and I, I just can't help you if, if you think Donald Trump walks on water I, I, and tiptoes between the raindrops. I, I, I can't help you. That, that requires a, you know, that, I'm not a member of the Trinity. That requires a level of spiritual authority that is, that is not available to me. That's above my pay grade. Likewise, if, if you just want the next four years to suck, if, if you want the country to continue to languish in slow growth and high unemployment uh, and the dumbing down of America to continue and, this, and the rainbow jihad to continue to hold sway and, and secularism to continue to indoctrinate the masses because you hate Donald Trump that much, I can't help you with that either. I, I just can't. And, and, I'm, and I'm not sorry that I can't help you because you do need help. If you're in either one of these camps, if you're posting that picture of Jesus Signing the pen for Trump in the White House, oh, okay, that's uh, or, or 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 if you have become and 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 I like Evan McMullen, and I say this at my own peril because I know saying this, my Twitter account's going to get lit up. I will hear from all one less about one half of the percent of the American people who voted for him. Okay, in fact, we talked about this off the air about a week ago, and I said I don't even want to bring this up publicly because I know I'm going to get bombarded if I do. That being said, 
whatever Evan McMullen now, that's not is now. That is not the guy we had on our show before the election. No, there's there's no thoughtful conservatism. I had to mute him on on, on Twitter. I couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, I just and and I was never Trump before I even knew what the hell an Evan McMullen was. Okay, but I, I could not handle it. It it's just all. If you if we if you live in a universe where you can work with leftist exposed fake race baiters of, of from Black Lives Matters, but 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 you can't find one good thing Donald Trump has done this week for the country. I I, I can't help you with that. Okay, I just I just can't. I don't care about the personalities. I don't. I, and we'll talk more about this in the next segment because the personality part of this was not a good week. It was Trumpian. Exactly what you would expect. The cray-cray got dialed up to 11. People he quoted for his mass voter fraud went on CNN earlier today and got their pants pulled down on national TV. It's everything that during the campaign we thought, oh my goodness, what in the Sam Hill is this? And Sean Spicer is clearly Mm -hmm. Grover Dale to Trump Scott Farkas. But but there is a difference between candidate Trump and President Trump. So far. So far. But but there's a difference in the way we judge them, and no matter what. Oh, yes. Candidate Trump had no record. He had never held office. We had no idea what what he would do. All we could go by is what he promised us and the way he behaved on the campaign trail. Forgive me. I I make no apologies for being skeptical that he was going to keep his promises based on the way he behaved on the campaign trail. Yeah. Those of you that did, congratulations. You have more faith than me. I just didn't. I, I don't have enough faith for that. On the other hand, President Trump gets to do stuff now. And so this is where you have to ask yourself, is it, is it more important what he's doing or the way he's behaving? Now, if I worked in the White House, if I, if I was being ordered to go on TV and defend this all the time, or if this was where my paycheck came from, yeah, the way he's behaving would matter quite a bit to me, okay? But the reality is the way he's behaving, as long as it doesn't get in the way of him doing the right thing, really doesn't impact my daily life at all. All I want is the right thing done. I've said this for years. I don't care who does it. I don't care what faction they're in. I don't care what party they're in. I don't care what church they go to. Just do the right thing and we're going to be friends. Don't do the right things and you'll wish my daddy had worn a condom that night. It's just that simple for me. I don't care about all the personality stuff. I don't. I, and if you're just in this, the guy can do no wrong or the guy can do no right. I can't help you. Amen. But it's just so much fun to vacillate between the two extremes, though, Steve. I, 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 the more I am plunged into this world, the more I just see that people just cannot help but vacillate between one of two extremes. It's just, it's, it's, it's depressing. Exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being an abject failure and 10 being I just bought a Make America Great Again hat, what was this first week, Kim? Because we're going to be talking about good Trump, bad Trump, I'm going to go right in the middle of 5. I want to be an optimist going into the weekend. It was a seven. I'm with Todd. It was a seven. I originally was going to say eight, but because I can't ever envision, no matter what he does, ever buying one of those silly hats, I'm going to go down to a seven and, <laughs> and say that it could go up higher if he were to follow through. There's, there's still time left. He could follow through on, move. on DACA and a couple of other of his promises that he hasn't kept. You also refuse to be this show's Pollyanna on any level, yes. so you ratcheted back a little. <laughs> yes, back from the brink. Back. All right, when we come back, Bad Trump next. Listening to Steve Dace.
All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was, powered by Conservative Review. On the Salem Radio Network, let's get to issue two. Bad Trump. The first week of the new Trump administration went okay. Here are the not-so-good things he or those around him did. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump vowed to repeal the measure that prevents illegal immigrants, known as DREAMers, from being deported. But days into the new president's administration, the federal government is still accepting applications for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Also, in an effort to pay for a border wall, the Trump administration has proposed implementing a 20% tariff on all goods imported from Mexico. The cost of that tariff will, in all likelihood, be passed on to the consumer. Trump also tweeting about Chicago threatened to send federal agents to curb crime running rampant in that city. He also made already debunked claims about voter fraud being the reason he lost the popular vote. Just a few of the not-so-good things Trump has said or done this week. So first question on this front goes to you, Todd. How much of Trump's bluster think tariffs threatening to send the feds into Chicago, which is, by very definition, a form of martial law, uh, threatening companies, etc.? How much of this is actually cray-cray? How much of it uh, is a diversion or a bargaining chip posturing, if you will? I ask you. It depends on the issue. Uh, regarding uh, the um, uh, election investigation, I don't think there's any reason why we shouldn't have some sort of holistic review. That would be healthy, but he is being silly and setting the bar ridiculously high. Now, if you don't have grotesque malfeasance, then some, you know this just looks like a loss. Regarding sending feds into Chicago, it is absolutely clear he was watching O'Reilly and just tweeted something. Just reacted. That's all that was. Um, regarding uh, t- tariffs that's i think we are going to have to do a couple segments on this and have some experts in this i think is going to be the art of the deal what's going on here i mean on one hand when i hear tariffs i'm thinking like 1776 and thinking of you know sugar being brought over on a schooner that's how we funded our government before we created an income tax so and i i totally get you know the theory of passing it on to consumer i i buy into it but a tariff applied to the relationship with each and every country in this modern age is not necessarily the same. It also depends on uh, what products uh, we're talking about. I, I want to know if if he thinks bringing them to the table because Mexico's dire need to continue to um, engage in, in trade with us and at a competitive level if, while prices may go up, not nearly as much as they think we do because, you know, they're, they're, there's a game of chicken being played here. So I am, I'm not casting aside the, the, the notion that the price will be passed on the consumer. If you have to make one safe bet in all this, I would go with that myself. But I am interested to see where this one goes. So I come back full circle. It depends on the issue, Steve. Kim, what do you think? I agree. You know, um, someone on the inside, and they were quoted in National Review, said, you know, he has no impulse control. He's bored easily, loves watching TV. So you have all so of that. So he's Donald Trump. Exactly. Who, what a surprise. 70 years old, guys. That's, that, that's why you got to know. It's the, it, that's why I, I've, I've, I've contemplated a lot the observation by Selena Zito, who's a columnist at the New York the New York Post, who says, take Trump seriously, but don't always take him literally. Right. Well, and my dad, you know, he says, this 
is the purple rule played out writ large, and that is you take your negotiating position way out there until they turn purple. Then you know this is a good starting point. And so I think that's what Trump does in a lot of times. He just throws those trial balloons. He throws it all the way out there, and then he'll dial it back in. I completely agree with that. But I also think at some point, Kim, someone's going to call his bluff, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, at some point, I doubt it will be Mexico, but, but at some point, some country's going to say, we'll just preemptively put these on you. At some point, a corporation's going to say, well, we don't care what you tweet. Uh, we can't afford to pay U.S. employees this kind, of a, this kind of a salary, so we're moving. Somebody's going to call his bluff. Uh, either because they're just whole, they're, they're they're just a company run by progressives who politically disagree, or they just can't they don't believe their business model fits into what he is demanding of us. Don't you think some point in the next four years someone's going to say, you know what, let's go all in? I want to see if you've really got pocket aces there or do seven offsuit. Oh, absolutely. There's got to be an alpha out there as well that will call his bluff. Aaron? I would like to say that uh, Donald Trump uh, has never followed through on any of his most uh, crazy propositions. Actually, I will say that because I was trying to think back to anything that he's said um, that he actually hasn't, at least in some form, uh, tried to follow through on. And uh, I was I was trying to think of, you know, lock her up, but he, he didn't follow through on that. And so these, uh, pro- you know, these, these crazy propositions that he throws out there, it is just kind of a diversion. It's a bargaining chip. Uh, people thought specifically about the, the example I just brought up. People thought that the lock her up thing, you know, throwing uh, Clinton in prison. People uh, took that literally, but or seriously, uh, seriously and literally, but that, nothing came of that. So it's just a bargaining chip. I want to go to the 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 flip side of what I talked about last segment towards the end of Good Trump. I, I when I is is the cray cray grating? Yes. Is it annoying? Yes. Is it troublesome and problematic? You betcha. But you know, I have to ask myself as an adult: is 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 the cray 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 enough? that I should care, care more about that than what actually is going on. And, and so the way I've, the way I've sort of f- figured this out is, I don't care if Alex, what makes the friggin' frogs gay, Jones, sleeps in the Lincoln bedroom. In fact, I don't care if he moves into it. If Trump, is, if Trump really wants to continue to give us a platform on an issue like life, wants to, if he appoints the right justice next week, you see, my, I, as long as the cray-cray doesn't get in the way of doing the things we like, then we put up with it. On the other hand, if the, if if it does get in the way, because it it becomes too debilitating, or he thinks the cray cray is a substitute for doing the right thing, then suddenly I care again, Todd. Exactly, and I re- I refuse to be on any sort of emotional or psychological roller coaster as it applies to this stuff because that's a, that would say more about me than it was about him. This is let me, a let me ask you since you brought that up. Do you view me? And I'm, I don't know. Do you think I'm on an emotional roller coaster? Because here's how I think. To me, I'm just I'm a play by play guy. Right. Okay. Last half. We were getting our butts kicked, right? You know, so I'm telling you, this the game's going bad right now. We got momentum. We've scored a few touchdowns. So, if you know the tenor of the home team play-by-play guy changed because what's going on on the field changes now. Next next quarter, if it turns out the other team's making a 10-0 run against us, it might sound a little bit different in terms of how I'm doing play-by-play. But maybe maybe that's what I think I'm doing, and maybe I am on an emotional roller coaster. 
No, you are, and that's why. And I, I don't want to. I don't want to go on that ride. I go back to where I was at the very beginning of uh, the Trump campaign, and I, I think I was right. You're calling play by play of the uh, Incredible Hulk. There, there is a lot of done uh, at the, on the side of the Hulk's fist, and then there is some not so good things. And I'm. We need to be the people that are just you know not ratcheted up and down in our emotions. Just say okay. On this one, I'm going to say bad Trump, on the, uh, or bad Hulk. On this one, I'm going to say good one. And we will, can, can we not? Is that with, not within our capacity as a people to go on like that? That's quite frankly what she, we should be doing with any president. We should not be part of anyone's cult. Right. Kim, do you want to respond to that? Well, I just thought, you know, I'll just tell you when you go off. <laughs> Trust All right. me. If, right. if you do that. Exit question. Was there enough good Trump this week to cancel out the bad Trump? And is this going to have to be a weekly thing on the day screw Browns? Yes. <laughs> Was yes. there enough good Trump to cancel out the bad Trump this week, Kim? Yes. The short answer is yes. Yes and yes. Yes and yes. We may. This may be a weekly issue. This week in good Trump, bad Trump. And that's the exit question every single week. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Issue three The best pro life week since when? It began when Trump said earlier this week he'll sign a bill making permanent the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits federal dollars from being used to fund abortions. Trump also signed an executive order reinstating the Mexico City policy, banning overseas funding to groups that provide abortions or abortion referrals. Then later on in the week, it was announced Mike Pence will be the first sitting vice president to speak at the March for Life. Then, in his first TV interview since the inauguration, Trump said this to ABC. Could you hear hear the voices from the Women's March here in Washington. We know there were more than a million people who turned out. And you are their president now, too. That's true. Could you hear them from the no, White House? No, I couldn't hear them. But uh, the crowds were large. But you're going to have a large crowd on Friday, too, which is mostly pro-life people. You're going to have a lot of people coming on Friday. And I will say this, and I didn't realize this, but I was told... You will have a very large crowd of people. I don't know, as large or larger. Some people said it's going to be larger. Pro-life people. And they say the press doesn't cover them. I don't want to compare crowd sizes. And on Thursday night, Trump <laughs> said this in Philadelphia. Friday, a lot of people are going to be showing up to Washington. Right, Mike? A lot of people. You know, the press never gives them the credit that they deserve. They'll have 300, 400, 500, 600,000 people. You won't even read about it. When other people show up, you read big time about it. Overall, a great week of news cycles for pro-lifers. How about the reporter there saying, well, I don't want to compare yeah. crowd sizes oh, after they spent the last week comparing crowd sizes. Good grief. And, and one more thing on this. Can the same media who says you can that they will acknowledge you when you self-identify your gender, despite what your actual biology says, will they allow us to please self-identify our own movement? Is that possible? It's not an anti-abortion march. It is a pro-life march. Okay? Journalism is magical. magical and not at all broken. I know. First question to you, Kim. 
Is this actually one of the better news cycles for the pro-life cause in recent memory, I ask you? Absolutely. I mean, and and then Aaron did a great job of laying that all out. And I want to add something else with regard to Iowa. Um, You know, we had pro-life groups that were against life at conception. They've all come on board. Um, We have in the Iowa Senate, they already had a a subcommittee that voted to defund Planned Parenthood. And that's passing to committee, and then it'll be on to the floor. So this has been a very good week. In fact, I was at our legislature about two weeks ago. I was invited because I'm the chairman of the board of a pro-life group here in Iowa. And I was invited to uh, sign a unity pledge uh, that uh, our board unanimously consented to with a bunch of other pro-life groups. And that is something that would absolutely have not have happened two or three, four years ago. And I did notice that that it did happen um, shortly after I took myself out of the equation. I don't I don't know if that is a coincidence or not. Todd, what do you think? Is this the best week in pro-life in, in recent memory? It is, but largely because of the contrast with the extreme of the women's march. So in a strange way, they, that group of hellhounds did do us a solid. I mean, we've been living into the last years, again, gender bending, yet there, uh, and that's right, I don't think you, you went far enough in, ta- in talking about uh, th- that notion of being able to define our own movement. And they defined their own movement about, you know, they were hyper-gender-oriented. They were dressing up as vaginas. Yet in the same, in the very next breath, if they go over to the People other... People like Shia LaBeouf were yes. acting like penises, yeah. indeed. <laughs> There's one word for it. Uh, but they'll, then in the next breath, they'll talk about how fluid gender is. This is the definition of madness. That's exactly what it is. They, I, and I'm not being, I'm, no, no, I'm not being hyperbolic. Is, that's Romans 1 yes. kind of stuff. I mean, that is the wrath of God revealed upon mankind, exchanging the truth for a lie, given over to your own reprobate mind. That's living it out in real time, what you're describing. So... Uh, because just flat we have science on our side i think we have common sense on our side we clearly have uh god on our side but we also we need to have isaiah one where would you yet be struck we need to have this image of this insanity and of this women and see just women who just want to have babies Aaron, do you have a quick comment before we go to exit question Uh, i think this is definitely at least in my lifetime again one of the best news cycles for the pro-life cause that i've i've ever heard of all right exit question will donald trump end up nominating who ends up becoming the fifth vote to overturn Roe on the Supreme Court, Kim. Yes. Wow. Optimism from Kim Pearson. There it is. Buy a lottery ticket, America. <laughs> I'm saying yes because I want it to be true. Aaron. I'm saying yes. Wow. I'm going to say the answer is there's a better chance at this than a skeptic thinks. If conservatives urge him to make the right choices. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, you know, I think I think he's I think he's literally looking at us saying, just tell me what judge you want, okay? And I think we're the ones that then have to come through and put the right name on that slip of paper. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back again on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Three issues down, one issue to go. Issue four, the defining moment. 
Cometh. Trump will make his pick for the replacement of Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court next Thursday. According to World Magazine, Trump has narrowed his choices down to four candidates, Neil Gorsuch, Bill Pryor, Thomas Hardiman, and Raymond Kethledge. Gorsuch, a Justice Department lawyer who clerked for Justice Anthony Kennedy, rose to the Tenth Circuit in 2006 on President George W. Bush's appointment and sailed through his confirmation hearings. Hardiman of the Third Circuit once dissented from a ruling against an evangelical mom who tried to read a Bible verse during her kindergartner's All About Me presentation, which her child's school prevented. Prior of the 11th Circuit has a lot of fans amongst conservative and evangelical circles, despite his prosecution of Alabama Supreme Court Chief Justice Roy Moore after Moore refused to comply with the U.S. Supreme Court's phony ruling on gay marriage. Kethledge of the Sixth Circuit wrote the unanimous 2016 opinion in favor of conservative groups who sued the Internal Revenue Service for illegal targeting. Kethledge chastised the government for not complying with a lower court order and called the allegations amongst the most serious federal court can address. After Supreme Court Justice Scalia's passing last year, the most important early decision Trump will make, and possibly his defining moment, will come next Thursday. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being, that you, John Roberts, and 10 being, we replaced a Scalia with a Scalia. How confident are you that Trump will pick the right person on Thursday? I ask you, Todd. I'm going to go with the 6, because I want to err on the side of optimism. Uh, but you alluded to something earlier this week that is my reason why. Uh, do I think there will be a – I hope there will be a substantial push to pick the right guy. I think Trump is just wanting to go there. But actual conservative judges, it's not like there's hundreds to pick from. Right. They're almost like – audience doesn't understand. They're almost like okay. unicorns. Yeah. So – even the ones a, Hillsdale and Patrick Henry doesn't have a college, don't have law schools where they're just churning out our guys as a feeder system, folks. We're, they're coming from the same progressively corrupted law schools that that the other side's justices are coming from, especially if they're coming from the elite ones, the Ivy League schools and 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 Michigan and places of that nature. So to me, I, worst case scenario, this is like that perhaps last year's NFL draft where everybody wants to pick a quarterback. Well, Jared Goff isn't necessarily John Elway just because that's the best quarterback available, mm -hmm. that's where we might be at. I that's hope a, not. That is a great analogy. And this is why I've been at, I advocated originally for Cruz. It's clear he doesn't want it. Mike Lee does. That's why I'm an advocate for him. We have vetted him. We have seen what he will do in government. We've seen him take stances. We know. And that's why, Kim, this decision has to be a known. The time for, in my view, the time for your John Roberts slash Neil Gorsuch stealth candidate is the next one. That Because that next one, when, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Anthony Kennedy steps down, that's your number five vote. That is, And by then, they'll be organized. Right now, the left is still scattered. You could get away with putting somebody to the right of Scalia on the court right now, probably, if you had that person. Okay, The next one is where you're probably going to need some political shenanigans, because that's looking like your Bork showdown. is Because that's the fifth vote, not just on Roe, but on Obergefell and a lot of these other issues. But we don't, but we don't get to that point, I'm claiming, if we don't get this one right. Well, why don't you just switch that, though? I mean, I really think if you think they're going to have this big argument for the fifth vote, why not have that now when he's got all this political capital? Because we're going to have it. They're going to have it now. Yeah. Okay. But the, you're saying the, with Lee. The, I'm the, saying go with. But, but we're going to have it now, but the left really isn't organized enough to truly bork somebody. Mm -hmm. Two or three years from now. 
they might be. Right. Particularly going into a midterm election or a presidential election, they might be then. So I am actually at the same number as Todd Six, confident that, you know, good Trump, bad Trump. So I'm going to be optimistic as Six. Aaron. I'm giving him the same number that I gave him on his first week. I'm giving him a seven. Um, I am still cautiously optimistic. I'm not 100% sure. But I think uh, based on how we've seen him behave with uh, some of his other appointments, uh, where he kind of throws out trial balloons, uh, we've still got enough time left to where if there is a concerted effort, like I've been seeing growing for Mike Lee, that if there's enough noise made, he will take notice and he will maybe change his mind from one of the four that I just listed. Now, listen, Neil Gorsuch may turn out to be great. All right. I have a lot of respect for Andy Schlafly's work. Otherwise, I wouldn't put him on the air. I know Kelly Shackelford even uh, much better than I even know Andy Schlafly. Kelly and I are buddies. And, and Kelly was Ted Cruz's primary law partner when they, were, when they were maybe the best constitutional law firm in America back in the day. And Shackelford vouches for Gorsuch. Okay? Gorsuch may turn out to be great. I hope that he does. I don't want to have to hope that he does. That's my point. When, when, when something key went before the court, did you hope Scalia was going to be right? Did you hope? Did you think, man, what's Scalia? Went? Whew, I mean, the Constitution is at stake. Going to really sweat out what Scalia... No, you did not. That's and, a great point. And that's why this person can't be that person. It can't be somebody we're sweating it out. To, now, if, if, if I, there's enough people I know that know Gorsuch that'll vouch for him. To me... Prior is a, is a, is it that was a no way right away because of what happened with Judge Roy Moore. Yes. And then what we talked about last night, gentlemen, similar to how dumb NFL players are for flunking a marijuana test before training camp comes because everybody knows it's 30 days before camp. It's the policy. You knew that going in. So you're just a moron. OK. Pryor has been named for this post since last May when Trump first put the list out as the favorite. So he's known all this time that he was under a microscope, and he's still out there doing squirrely uh, renderings on some of these issues. Instead of putting his base, best foot forward, that tells you right there what may happen if you give that guy a lifetime appointment and no accountability. So to me, he's a non-starter. Gorsuch has enough advocates of people, despite Schlafly's work. I'll trust. I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully trust him. But I don't want to have to hopefully trust him when somebody sitting out there like Mike Lee is, is a known commodity. And can you imagine how different our scale of 1 to 10 numbers are going to be about Donald Trump next week and the weeks thereafter if he picks uh, prior, not only because of the, the specifics of the court, but, but what it's going to say about his judgment about everybody else. I mean, he would why would you walk into that hornet's nest? It just showed, it would show terrible judgment, terrible acumen. He should. Not, I hope he's just on that list as a some sort of placeholder. Exit question. I'm an advocate of appointing Mike Lee, in case you didn't know, uh, to replace Justice Scalia. Among those who would accept the position, is he someone you would support, Kim? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Do is there anybody that we know of that you could think of that is that that wants the job that would be better than him? I couldn't think of anybody that that we know wants the job. Could can you think of someone? Not off the top of my head. I mean, so, well, somebody I, I, like Santorum I or could, somebody I could think like of that. somebody, because I know he would want the job. He would just never get the appointment. It would be Judge Roy Moore. He is somebody. There, there, so sure. there's somebody. I was thinking more think political of. and legislatively speaking. Uh, we'll come back with predictions next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So we spend most of this hour 
during the day group, taking a look back. We will now close it out by taking a look ahead. It is time for predictions, and Erzin, you're going to go first. Well, I don't know when it's going to come, but uh, one of the places where Donald Trump's momentum with the public in general might hit the brakes is on the subject of uh, vaccination. Uh, and uh, that's something that uh, I'm pl- I'm personally very pleased that he is uh, looking into, along with a staunch Democrat and a defender of global warming, um, uh, Kennedy, Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. Um, so that that's going to c- cause a lot of people uh, probably some heartburn. But I say just take a look at whatever that has to come, whether it's next week or next month or next year. There's a committee being put in place just to look at, again, review what our entire policy is on that front. Kim? Well, I'm going to have to change a prediction. I thought uh, Judge Sykes was going to be the nominee, but she's tanked. I mean, she's just, there's no way. I think that's clearly, it was the first name he trial ballooned. Right. And, And the minute people started looking at her, they thought, this gal makes Sandra Day O'Connor look like Antonin Scalia. That's a non-starter. Exactly. So yeah. my prediction is it's going to be Gorsuch. Um, I like his writings on euthanasia. Um, he talks about the dignity of human life. So um, I think it's going to be him. Aaron? Uh, my prediction is it's going to be Lee or somebody who's not on the uh, top four um, uh, list that uh, World Magazine put out earlier this week and, and others have confirmed as well. We've seen this happen before, especially with the Secretary of State pick, where that was a weeks-long, drawn-out process where there were tons of rumors, and then at the last minute, it seemed, he came out of left field with um, with Rex Tillerson. I think the same thing is going to happen this year. We keep talking about week. We keep talking about best case as far as the judge. I mean, he's not going to you appoint... You could go worst case, he's too. Not, he's not going to appoint a Ginsburg. So what What's, what's the worst case scenario he, that that he be, that he appoints the next David Souter to John Roberts? That's the worst case scenario. I mean, you're right; he's not going to appoint a Ginsburg, but he might appoint uh, a David Souter or John Roberts. As I pointed out before, we are all right, righteously indignant that Obama is the first president to ever sue nuns. Okay. But keep in mind that if John Roberts doesn't, and he legislated from the bench, yes, the did. first time around he rewrote Obamacare to not be a to not be a mandate but a tax, and then the second time he rewrote what it, what 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 state what the meaning of state exchange means. He legislated from the bench not once but twice in order to save Obamacare. And if he had not done that, all those lawsuits against Hobby Lobby and the nuns are all null and void. So to me, that's your worst case scenario. Which means, is it better than what you would have gotten for Hil- from Hillary? Well, of course. Is it the first? Is it a vote to overturn Roe? No, that is not. Prediction from me. Again, man, the optimism. We're drunk on it. Iowa is going to become the first state to place personhood legislation on the desk of its governor later this year. Which means, by state law, defining a human being becomes a person from the moment at conception. Now the question is, does Kim Reynolds have the guts to sign it? Or Terry Branstad may not be in Gina by then, so it may be up to whether he will sign it Same (laughs) point. We'll come back. Hour 3 is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Oh, 
rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Hour number three underway here on the Salem Radio Network. You're listening to the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. And we'd love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We'll get to some of your feedback coming on coming up a little bit later on in this hour. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is that time of night when our producer Aaron takes control and reminds us that it ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. He gets to pick on us for a change. He can ask us any three questions about any three things. There is nothing off limits, but he has to answer the same questions as well. Question one, what's a recurring dream you've had? I don't remember a lot of dreams, you know, so I don't know that I I don't think I've ever had um, a recurring dream. I just I'm trying to think of one and I I can't think of one. And uh, I've just I'm not a big dream person. I'm I'm sure I do, you know, because science says that we do. Uh, I'm just not a person that necessarily wakes up a lot remembering what they were, Kim. You know, the interesting thing about this one is that I just found out recently that my sisters have the same recurrent dream that I do. And it is this, that my dad is driving and he is driving us off a cliff. And we're all like freaking out. There's a metaphor. And then, the you know, here in Iowa, there's this Kate Shelley bridge, just enormous tall for the um, railroad and he put the railroad wheels on our car and he just went right out over the nothing right and then he'd open the door and lean over and we thought he was gonna that's frightening so that's the dream that all of us have had yeah that's frightening well to some extent i'm like see i don't i wake up all the time every night i i I just don't get into deep sleep i and i never have but over the years i seem to recall when I do have them, they, like a a a back in school, not having studied enough for a test, not gotten a paper done. So I haven't done any dream translation on that and what that means. But it seems like that's happened a few times. I've had the typical. Uh, went back when I wor- worked for an actual um, a radio network where we were, you know, it, at the home base, and I had uh, network operations responsibilities. I, I worked in the morning, and I had the typical radio person dream, where I was late for work, getting up. I I couldn't get up, or I couldn't get to work, and um, you know, this uh, the, the, we went off the air because I wasn't there to control the board and all of that. That's uh, that's the typical uh, recurring dream that I've had. Question two: What's the most specific rumor you've ever heard about yourself? Most specific rumor that I've ever heard about myself? Um, Disturbingly specific. Uh, I've had people uh, when I left my local radio job in WHO uh, about six years ago now, and I I left because I've told this story before. A group of people came to me and said, "Hey, we think you have the ability to do what you do nationally, and we want to help you do it." 
I didn't know how we were going to do that. But I, so I walked out without knowing if I'd ever be behind a microphone again or what my next job would be. And uh, a lot of people began making up rumors, even using names of station management that I had been fired because I had uh, somehow they were some cherished Republican constituency that couldn't be held accountable. And they had convinced the station to get rid of me. And then on my last day on the air, uh, my old boss, Van Harden, actually surprised me because it's weird that uh, you would think people had the common sense to know that when they put you back on the air after you resign, it means that you weren't fired. It means that you're leaving in good standing because the M.O. in this business is no matter where you were at, when you quit, clean out, we'll send you your belongings. They want you out of the building. Right. So for them to ask me to stay on the air after I had submitted my resignation and then they wanted me to stay on longer. But I but corporate clear channel corporate wouldn't agree for me to do it in exchange for letting my non-compete clock run concurrently. They said, nope, company policy is not until you are off the microphone for the last time does your non-compete clock. And so I'm like, guys, I would stay until you found my replacement. But but if they're not going to grant me my non-compete clock, you know, then I'm, I'm hurting myself. So the fact they put me back on the air should have been a hint that I left in good standing. But the last day, Van actually surprised me, showed up, came on the air to say goodbye. And just annihilated all of those rumors. Of course, the same people who were spreading them before that continue to do so. But that's probably the one that uh, um, I recall the most. My wife, there's this gal out there who just is this GOP groupie in Iowa who hates my guts, who I've never met, who has been going around the state telling people I beat my wife. And my wife has actually had to take questions from people. Are you okay? You know, that, you know, where that she has seen people post about that or email her about it in the past. So that's probably the one she would choose. Mine happened at least three times that I can think of where I was in the public eye as a reporter at the Des Moines Register for something uh, I I did and, and thus was reported on. And so multiple people would uh check in with me are you fired are you fired is this finally the one so i think that's that's the most specific one and it's happened multiple times um when i worked in the legislature there was this um kind of a brouhaha over whether or not you could carry at the at the capitol and so there were uh, yes. what you mean. Yeah. Carry a firearm. And um, and so then there were rumors on who of the legislators were actually carrying because we didn't have to go through the uh, metal detectors. And that, that was the rumor. Oh. What does it say about Kim that they just, just that the rumor just assumed it was her? <laughs> oh, Kim's strapped. <laughs> and everybody believed it. Yes. Uh, the the worst rumor, I, I don't know if there's a worst rumor, but the most specific rumor I've ever heard about myself is... Um, that I really am. I, I really was like a, um, what's what's the name of a secondary actor, like a, a step in for Daniel Radcliffe. That was the rumor at school. I didn't take it seriously. A body double? Or a something? body double, thank you. I, yes. I believe the question was rumor, not yeah. fantasy. You're just doing wish projection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just. Uh, no, you, I'm, and, and, I'm and, and, dead. I, and I started this rumor about myself. <laughs> yes. I started it, so. <laughs> and my girlfriend is in Niagara Falls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, she goes to another school. <laughs> Uh, question three, getting out of that. Um, <laughs> you look so red. You're flushed. Um, what's the most interesting, weird, or funny time you were mistaken for someone else? Which is... Oh, I, for me, it's Jack Black. Oh, I, sure. I've had, I've had that passed around on the internet 
and sent to me a million times that I don't see it. Now, one time when I was at my heaviest phase, somebody had a likeness to me to the Campbell Soup Kid. Now, I thought that was a dead ringer. Okay, I've never gotten the Jack Black thing. My wife doesn't get it either. But I've had a ton of people that think I look like Jack Black. I don't see it. But I, I saw the Campbell Soup thing when I was really fat, but I don't, I don't see the Jack Black thing. I've gotten Lance Armstrong before. I've gotten... I can see that I a little bit, actually. Yeah. I've gotten in this, a, doper. A, a poor man's Matthew <laughs> McConaughey before, which I think is kind of hilarious. But I've actually... there's a My wife says there's a doppelganger of me uh, that is uh, attends our parish. And she said she's actually... If he's far enough away and our hair happens to be the same length and we happen to have the same fa- facial... You know, it's just that combination at the right time. And we roughly dress the same way that she has... You know, At first glance, she thought it was me and it's turned out to be him. Um, other than uh, Harry Potter, it would probably have to be Ben <laughs> Shapiro. No. <laughs> Yeah, I can Shapiro, see Ben Shapiro. I can see Shapiro a little bit. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not famous enough to have a doppelganger. So um, now, bonus no bonus question because we got a couple more minutes. Uh, if you could head up any scientific study, what would it be? You want to start that one, Kim? Since you didn't get to answer the last one. Oh, I did answer the last one. Um, I'd have to think on this one. I'm passing. We'll come back to her, Todd. Okay. Well, we already briefly talked about it. I won't get in the weeds on it. Anybody's always free to contact me if they want to. But it would uh, be a, a comprehensive study on the state of the union of uh, modern use of vaccination. Kim? I need to talk to you about that issue sometime. Kim? Yeah, I would um, probably do a study on the efficacy of pain medicines on healing. Hmm. Um. I was trying to see if I could come up with one that's totally self-serving, like in something I'm actually like really interested in, yeah. rather than something for the betterment of humanity per se. But probably uh, do one on essential oils because everybody's obsessed <laughs> with that stuff. <laughs> do they actually work? Um, I'm gonna go with. Um, They're in the Bible. Uh, they are, um, to some extent. I'm gonna go with. Um, you want know fire up the Indiana Jones, man? I'm going archaeology. That'd be kind of cool, don't you think? Of what, though? Stuff. Stuff. <laughs> like, I want to find that secret government warehouse where the Ark of the Covenant's at. Like that. You're listening to Steve Dace. The time to fight is now. Always the Steve Day Show. Have something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guild in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the nightly buzz. We go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed earlier in the evening. As selected by our producer, Aaron, based on what's trending on social media at the water cooler where you work, if you do. We didn't have time to get to it, so we're going to get to it now briefly. He's got the headlines. We will react, probably overly, with the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, First story, according to Newsbusters, the media's coverage of this year's Women's March compared to last year's March for Life was grossly lopsided. During the morning and evening news shows, the three broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, covered the Women's March 129 more times, 129 times more than they did the 2016 March for Life. 
I don't think that shocks anybody. What's been funny to me is to watch, because you guys know I follow various media across the ideological spectrum on Twitter. So throughout the day, to watch how fixated certain uh, sectors of the media are on certain issues. Uh, and then which ones are covering the March for Life and which ones aren't. And then if they're not covering the March, what are they covering instead? And, you know, Trump's claims about massive voter fraud seems to be the the dis, the, uh, the diversionary uh, topic they'd prefer to cover than March for Life. And the whole thing about that, to me, I just, I find it funny. For, for example, if... If the media was able to easily find out that Tiffany Trump is registered to vote in two different states with just their modicum access to the voter rolls, doesn't that actually reinforce the notion of systemic voter fraud? You see where I'm going with this? It if it's that apparent that they can pause, find it, yes. doesn't that actually reinforce the case? Secondly, does anybody else find it ironic? That after lionizing and canonizing the post-election protesters who made famous the hashtag NotMyPresident for the weeks following November 8th, that the media is now out there arguing with Trump that his victory was far more legitimate than even he thought it was. Is anybody out there to find the irony in this? They're literally making the argument, he, he legitimately won this thing. There wasn't any fraud at all. He won this thing fair and square. The whole thing, I just find the whole thing funny, guys. Yeah, what happened to the Russians? <laughs> <laughs> At some point, Putin's going to be like, "Hey, you yes. guys are taking my you're taking credit away from my handiwork here." Oh, good grief! I mean, yeah, th this is the the march, th and this goes to, to what the women's march did. You know, th Trump went overboard with uh, the crowd size, crowd size, crowd size. So they see him and raise him. So, and the mere existence of this women's march now is the thing that allows for all of the coverage to be evened out because it's just if if the march for life happened a couple months from now you could be betting that it would be this 120 times more but it's it's only it's less than a week away i mean the, even they could not just you know snuff this the life out of this thing under a pillow so and see, that would be something a pro-life conservative could be excited about, is the fact that there is more coverage and that Donald Trump did yeah. play into that. So that is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, what kind of bizarro world are we living in? One, we couldn't have thought of Donald Trump being president. And then two, President Donald Trump tweeting his full support and talking about his full support for uh, March for Life. Next story, the Daily Caller is reporting that President Trump is set to hire Paul Teller, former executive director mm. of the Republican you know Study what? Committee and ex-chief of staff to Senator Ted Cruz to be the White House's chief liaison to Capitol Hill conservatives. Oh, boy. That is a rock star hire. Why? What That's does this do? He is absolutely, I know, Paul, absolutely one of us, uh, former chief of staff to Ted Cruz, uh, and, and uh, he was one of the people that essentially helped lay out the case uh, for Senator Cruz, why the pragmatic thing was to actually uh, stop bowing to Obama, but to fight back. The whole hashtag, make D.C. listen, uh, he's a part of that entire inner sanctum. And uh, that would be, that's a rock star hire. I mean, that's, that's, that, that guy is one of us. Having him be, here, here's, here's how that works in this office, okay? Paul Teller's a guy that's going to go to Congress and say, this is what the people demand from you. Rather than coming back 
from Congress to the White House and say, here's what they're willing to go ahead and do for us. See the difference? I had somebody say to me once about Dr. Richard Land, who used to be the Southern Baptist Convention's, uh, essentially their lobbyist in Washington. And I had a prominent Southern Baptist leader say this to me about Dr. Land at the end of his career. And he said, you know, I, I'm, young, I'm old enough to remember when Dr. Land used to go to Washington, lay down ordinance, and tell them what we expected from them. But he's been in Washington for so long that he comes back down here, down south from Washington, and says, here's what they're willing to give us. See, that's, that's the difference. In the, that's a paradigm-shifting maneuver by Trump, in my view. I, that's the first I've heard of that news. Paul and I have several mutual friends. I'm surprised no, none of, I didn't hear this. I didn't get a text or anything about this. But that's... That's a significant personnel move, guys. I'm you not going to lie to you. The, the articles in um, Washington Examiner saying that he's going to be keeping the members of the House Freedom Caucus, the Republican Study Committee, and the Senate Steering Committee in sync with the White House. Very interesting. It's almost as if Trump, you know, knowing I, this is my time to be president, I obviously can't out Obama, Obama, but Trump just wants to be great at this. And his best avenue is just to be, I mean, he can outdo every so-called conservative out there because of they've been largely frauds and he's just like it, this is my path to being great so let's give this thing a try i mean that 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 is a gig if, if president cruz would have put paul tiller paul teller in a in a position like that or maybe even made him white house chief of staff that so that is that's an all-star hire next story for the first time scientists have grown an embryo that is part pig part human the experiment described thursday in the journal cell involves injecting human stem cells in the embryo of a pig, then implanting the embryo into a uterus of a sow and allowing it to grow. After four weeks, the stem cells had developed into precursors of various tissue types, including heart, liver, and neurons, and a small fraction of the developing pig was made up of human cells. Soil and green as people. You freaking monsters. That too. Yeah, my first reaction to this is always, uh, forgive us, Lord, we know not what we do. Uh, There was a, what was it, a Men in Black movie on the theme? There was an entire galaxy contained within, like, the the bell on a cat's, you know, but that we just, there's so much inside of life. I mean, let there be life. The essence of it is inside us. And here we dare to play mad scientist with it. It's, it's appalling and grotesque. Final story before we close. The, a Dallas school district is investigating an employee who posted a video of a person shooting a water gun at President Donald Trump's image while yelling, die. Well, I... I... Sometimes progressives do want guns in school, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't think I can come up with anything snottier than that. I don't. I just, I don't know who they think that, whose mind they think those things change. Well, can we you talk know, like, about like, their minds, though, along mm-hmm. with the sign of the apocalypse? These aren't exceptions, Steve. These are the rule. I know. I mean, it's, it's Greenpeace putting up a massive banner, resist behind the White House. I can't believe there's a single voter in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, or Wisconsin that got up that day, saw that story, and thought, you know what? I'm, I'm totally changing my vote in 2020. I, I don't know why they think that stuff motivates people. You're listening to Steve Dace.
How about we try that whole life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness thing again? Hmm. This is Steve Dace. Let's get to some feedback Friday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Some of the highlights from our inbox throughout the last several days. And again, if you want to submit your feedback, steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. This is from Todd. Not this Todd, but another one. Uh, what many people have labeled simply as whining by a generation of participant trophy recipients, I believe is actually a generation coming face-to-face with the fallacy of the worldview they have been taught. Now listen to his take on this, particularly Aaron. I want to get you guys' reaction to this. This other Todd writes, Today's modern worldview teaches that truth is relative, and what I believe to be true actually is. Also, the modern definition of tolerance states that I must accept your view of reality as equal to my own. The unwillingness to accept the election results is simply this generation learning that there really is objective truth. Donald Trump is the president, whether they like it or not. But this lies in contrast to their perceived reality. They didn't want Trump to win, so he couldn't have possibly won. The curtain has been pulled back, and the wizard of subjectivism has been revealed to be a figment of their imagination. This whining isn't just because they don't like the president, but because they cannot understand how, how what, they have been all, all, what they've always been taught has turned out to be proven false. We, aren't, we, aren't witness, we, we are witnessing just a bunch of, we are, I'm sorry, we aren't witness, witnessing just a bunch of whining liberals who refuse to honor the truth, but a worldview crisis that doesn't understand what truth really is. That's a fascinating take. I'm inclined to uh, agree somewhat with it, because where else has my generation in mass been hit with something that they don't like? I was just I just said last hour, didn't I, that I grew up in a world that's just uh, all uh, Obama. Uh, it's it's been all of his and for the progressive that's a that's a utopian worldview we grew up uh, with obama eight years of obama and now they're starting to face reality that there are people who don't agree with them there are people who um uh, vehemently think that they're just wrong and this is the first time that they've been hit with that reality because certainly they haven't in mass been hit with it in school they've been told how much of a snowflake they are so i i tend to agree with that take uh at least in part the question then becomes what happens now okay they've been hit with this uh reality the stark reality what are they going to do with it now that i mean they can't just pout for the rest of their life can they oh oh yes <laughs> depends is there a su- mean, is there a subsidy for that that's true yes if there's a subsidy for that then the answer is yes if there's not then of course the answer is no it's called college uh i i reality uh, i don't want it Therefore, it can't be real, boiling it down to its essence. I, right. I think that is uh, dead on, and it is, it is fascinating. Uh, again, we've had multiple examples during this show of the public temper tantrums that grown-ups are sh- showing themselves uh, to the world with, and they believe it to be righteousness. I, we and it those aren't the exception again they are the rule and that is why is it, it is so important to for everybody you know politics is going to happen to you no matter what and politics has happened to a lot of people who have claimed to be conservative uh but have been too content to basically check certain boxes uh but then not really get their hands dirty on any level not run themselves maybe write some kind and here we do i mean steve you've been more active uh, 
uh, than most in your job. I mean, in, other than just saying things behind the mic, you get out there and do things. Uh, but uh, people are just going to have to say that being a conservative is just not uh, making a nice income and, and living in, in your uh, two-car garage, uh, two-story house. You must be active and fight these people. I feel like we're watching this massive public cognitive dissidence and all these people cannot understand these two these inconsistent thoughts the realities are skewed it's it's fascinating and sad several years ago when i was still doing uh, local sports talk in fact i had a uh, teacher at one of the largest high schools in our area invite me to come address all the students he used to teach at a christian school decided to go work in the government schools because that was a good mission field and he said uh, they'll let me let you come and speak, provided you promise not to evangelize and get us all sued. So I wondered, what could I say that would not do that? And when I showed up that day, it was, it was one of those days in March right before spring break, and it was grimy outside and cold and windy. And, you know, kids are restless. And I asked them, how many of you wanted to be 70 degrees and sunny right now? Every hand went up. And I said, it doesn't matter what you want. Weather doesn't care what you want. Weather was here before you got here. It'll be here long after you're gone. So it's going to be 31 degrees outside with a 25-mile-an-hour gusting wind because we're in Ames, Iowa, where the wind gusts every day. And that's what it's going to be no matter what you think, what your desires are. And it's up to you to dress appropriately in acknowledgement of a phenomenon that transcends you. And the next day, that teacher called me and said, you will not believe the conversations happening in the hallways of this school. Most of these kids have not been talked to. And we live in a world where the people who have power are telling you in that bad weather, go outside because it's 70 yeah, degrees. Self-identify so, as July. So what's your yeah. job to do then? Hell no. You fight back. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Letting the lion out of its cage. The Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. David Tanner sent this into our SteveDace.com inbox. And again, if you'd like to do the same, Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us, D-E-A-C-E, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. He says, I've only heard you ever say nothing, nothing but nice things about Kellyanne Conway. Given the only thing I know about her is as a relentless Trump shill, what am I missing? First of all, do you guys think that's accurate? Which part? That she's, she's a relentless a shill? Trump shill? Well, I don't think there, anybody would debate that Kellyanne... Uh, is a relentless Trump shill. Do you think it's, and I'm asking, do you think it's accurate that we've, that I've only, me, I've only said nice things about her when her name has come up? You've um, hesitated at points pre-election to, you say, listen, she's a friend, I like her so much, but oh my goodness, this is a bad look sort of thing. So that's, and recently I'm, that's what I can remember. And I'm more likely to say something. Here's the thing, David. Your your I think your your observation is largely correct, and there's a couple of reasons for it. One is what our, what Todd articulated. Two, which goes along with number two. I'm a human being, all right. I mean, we all have our blind spots. Okay, so uh, the issue that plus there's plus there's a third factor where Kellyanne is concerned. Is I know, I think I know her well enough that I believe, and I've always believed since she got that job that she would actually be in there advocating for stuff we, we care about and believe in. So in my situation, trust me, as much as I like her, 
there's been numerous times during this campaign I, I when I I just cringed. Okay? Oh, yeah. I just cringed. On the other hand, this goes back to what do I prioritize? She has an intimate audience with the President of these United States. I know she's advocating, because I've worked with her, so I know she's advocating the stuff that we believe in to him. So I have to ask myself, what is the return on investment if I spend time discrediting her and tearing her down because for the moment she is a relentless Trump shill compared to, does that, am I working against my own cause by doing so is what I'm asking. So, so one is I have a personal thing. I like her, and I like people. So I'm, that's why I try not to have a lot of friends, guys. It, okay, when I tell you I don't try to have a lot of friends, it's not because I'm you know uh, a loner. Uh, I don't like people. The exact opposite is true. It's because I do, because it affects my objectivity. I'm well aware of that. Okay, uh, that's why I don't do a lot of social functions and things of that nature. I don't come out of the spider hole very often because I know I'm human and it will impact my objectivity. So there's that issue with her. The other problem, though, also I have on a on a professional level, is when she is a she's she is a valuable asset to us in his inner sanctum. So what is when everybody else is tearing her down on the other side? What is the value to me to join in on that? And that's something I've often asked myself since she got that gig. Well, I wouldn't call, t- you know, if you're just doing a, an honest assessment of you're defending something that's indefensible, that's not necessarily tearing someone down. I mean, if I would say that's just being honest about she made a wrong move on that. Now, if you want to say tearing her down, that's that whole outfit she was wearing for the inauguration and people were making fun. You know, it's like proof she doesn't have a gay friend. That's tearing down. But, you know, being honest on whether or not she's um, kind of doing a spin, and I don't think that's it. This is from Joe. Steve, I got to level with you. I thought Ward was a little too hard on the beaver the other night with that whole year of the cat bit. Like, But then I actually heard it. Likely <laughs> to be the dumbest song I have ever heard. Wow, wow, wow. Now, I'm a guy who has a master's degree in music and who has studied all genres, and that song screams waiting in the lobby for a perm at the beauty parlor. (laughs) Please take that boy that you have working for you, lock him in a soundproof room. Who is this? Play something manly like Sympathy for the Devil, the main title to Star Wars. Maybe Courageous by Casting Crowns in order to get him right. (laughs) I'm still trying to shower the bad smell of that song off of me. Just wow. Joe. The intervention Joe. begins now. Yeah, Joe, I'm sorry that you're wrong. That's all I got to say. Is this dad, Joe? Is this your dad? <laughs> no, no, no. no. My dad's name is not Joe. No. <laughs> this is just a, no. There, uh, hopefully there is more than you one know, Joe in a there, national audience yeah, listening to there's, us. Yeah, there's, there's two types of people. There are those who like and appreciate Year of the Cat. And there are those who need Jesus. I'm seriously starting to <laughs> he went there. question Joe's salvation wow. right now. <laughs> this one must have hurt a little. <laughs> he went there. Wow. I mean, that's it's just the I truth. Mean, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry you can't see it, but I'm. I feel like I'm Elijah here. I'm just going to have to start chucking nuclear bombs at you. Well, that was one. <laughs> This show went to a place of self-righteousness not even I thought it was capable of here in the last Who few Who are minutes. you to does, determine what self-righteousness does, is? Does, does that I'm mean you're proud of the hire? <laughs> <laughs> he raised the bar. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Who determines righteousness around here? This is... Al Stewart or Steve Days. I'll let you be the judge, America. You know, when, when, when I hired you for this gig, I don't think I've ever told you this. Uh-oh. 
your mama came up to me. Oh, yeah. She did. She, she told me about this. Your mama came up to me and she said, thank you. And I said, don't thank me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't hire him because he's your son. I mean, because we've known your family for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I hired him because he was good. In fact, if you know me at all, you know me well enough to know the fact that I did know your family meant that I would have judged your work a right. little bit more harshly mm-hmm. just to be a check in my own spirit. And I said, your son earned the job. He's really good at his job. So don't thank me. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm taking money out of We're taking money out of our own pocket to move him down here to do this job because he can do the job. We wouldn't do it cause, just because he's your kid. I'm doubting that now, and <laughs> I, I just, I, I feel compelled to almost apologize now to your mom for this. Like, she was thanking me for this a year and a half ago when we gave you this job, and, mm-hmm. and now when I, see, when I see the bad influence that we have been, when I, when I see what we have done to you, uh, and I, I just... Counterpoint? I feel as if I should apologize to your mom now. Counterpoint, you've never listened to Year of the Cat, so... Um, I'm hearing you were gone when we played the whole song live on the show that has your name on it by the way that was good yeah I just I feel sorry for people who don't I've also never I've also never swallowed a pile of razor blades but I'm pretty confident given their history that it would be bad to do so all right a song called year of the cat Mm -hmm. does not denote to me uh, exhilaration or taste for that matter so I think you should accept Joe's intervention in the um, spirit it was intended I do not and I'm going to go home and listen to Year of the Cat really really loud the bottom of the barrel has not been reached yet you're listening to Steve Dace Liberty has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up tonight on a Friday here on the Steve Dace Show before we head out for the weekend. So what did we learn here during tonight's program? Kim, you begin. What did you learn tonight? Well, um, I'm going to point people to the conservative review and and, um, the book that Daniel... Um, Horowitz have written on the judiciary and how important it is. Stolen Sovereignty, the book Daniel wrote about a year ago. To get this pick right. As most times, people are... uh, have a problem with paradoxes. They make them feel uncomfortable. They, they're they supposed to get you out of the, your comfort zone. Because we want a simple yes. binary choice world. But there is a paradox is that for the time being, and again, hopefully sooner rather than later, we get past this. But these Supreme, while they are not the only reason to elect Trump or anybody else, when you are dealing with them, it is important to hit a Grand Slam home run every time so that in the future they aren't so important and they are just the Supreme Court that was devised by our founding fathers once again. Regrettably, I was reminded once again that the uh, cray-cray that we're seeing from the left, the just literal insanity, is not going to stop anytime soon. Um, this the Progressivism, again, is a cult. 
you usually cannot re- you usually cannot question or argue with cultists because they're cultists. They're, they're part of a cult. They don't they have blinders on. So if you try to engage with uh, progressives, especially during this time, the best you can do is just ask questions. I learned tonight that uh, this is the most optimistic the personnel on this show has been since it launched on the Salem Radio Network November of 2015, which, by the way, admittedly, is a low yeah. bar. If there was an air quote above your head right now, there would have been a big asterisk inside yes, of it. it. It's a low bar. Like, like, I don't think we are objectively optimistic, but optimistic in the context of our normal state. Let's right? just try this on for size for now. It, huh? I mean, it's, it's like what you said about Jared Goff. I mean, no one would say, as a quarterback right. prospect, he lined up coming out of the draft with a Troy Aikman or even Matthew Stafford or... Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, guys who were surefire, everyone agreed, no matter what system you're in, top five picks, right? But given the fact that, given what the quarterback class last year was, if you needed one, he was the best one. So it's no one was saying he was objectively great. He was just the greatest in that, maybe the greatest in that class. What do you think the odds are at this point that next week already is the polar opposite of this week? I think the odds are probably 50-50. That then the following week, uh, or the following is, is, is a bad week. And then the week after that is great. I, I, guys, I've said this all along. I've never known anybody who didn't govern the way they, who didn't behave while governing the way they did while they campaigned. So if you're telling me this is going to be a bit of a roller coaster with maybe really high highs and really low lows, I agree, which is why I'm telling people, pace yourself. Okay, got four years of this. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 